Section three of Revelations of a Wife. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Reading by Mary Rohde. Revelations of a Wife by Adele Garrison. Chapter three. Known to fame as Lillian Gale. Our taxi drew into the long line of motor-cars before the theatre, and slowly crept up to the door. Dicky jumped out, raised his umbrella, and guided me into the lobby. It was filled with men and women, some in elaborate evening dress, others in street garb. Some were going into their seats, others were gossiping with each other, still others appeared to be waiting for friends. The most conspicuous of all the women leaned against the wall and gazed at others through a lorgnette which she handled as if she had not long before been accustomed to its use. Her gown, a glaringly cut one, was of scarlet chiffon over silk, and her brocaded cape was half slipping from her shoulder. Her hair was frankly dyed, and she rouged outrageously. I gazed at her fascinated. She typified to me everything that was disagreeable. I have always disliked even being in the neighborhood of her vulgar kind. What was my horror, then, to see her deliberately smiling at me, then coming toward us with hand outstretched? I realized the truth even before she spoke. It was not I at whom she was smiling, but Dicky. She was Dicky's friend. "'Why, bless my soul, if it isn't the Dicky bird she cried so loudly that everybody turned to look at us. She took my hand. "'I suppose you are the bride Dicky's been hiding away so jealously.' She looked me up and down as if I were an exhibition, and turning to Dicky said, "'Pretty good taste, Dicky, but I don't imagine that your old friends will see much of you from now on.' "'That's where you're wrong, Lil.' returned Dicky easily. We're going to have you all up some night soon. See that you do, she returned, tweaking his ear as we passed on to our seats. I had not spoken during the conversation. I had shaken the hand of the woman and smiled at her. But over and over again in my brain this question was revolving. Who is this unpleasant woman who calls my husband Dicky Bird? and who is called Lil by him. But I love the very air of the theatre, so as Dicky and I sank into the old-fashioned brocaded seats, I resolutely put away from my mind all disturbing thoughts of the woman in the lobby, who appeared on such good terms with my husband, and prepared to enjoy every moment of the evening. "'Well done, Madge,' Dicky whispered mischievously, as, after we had been seated, I let my cloak drop from my shoulder without arising. You wriggled that off in the most approved manner. I ought to, I whispered back. I watched other women with envious attention during all the lean years, when I wore tailor-maids to mill and to meeting. Dicky squeezed my hand under cover of the cloak. No more lean years for my girl, if I can help it he murmured earnestly. Dicky appeared to know a number of people in the audience. A half-dozen men and two or three women bowed to him. 
he told me about each one two were dramatic critics others artists and actor friends each one's name was familiar to me through the newspapers you'll know them all later madge he said and i felt a glow of pleasure in the anticipation of meeting such interesting people dicky opened his program and i idly watched the people between me and the stage a few seats in front of us to the left i caught sight of the woman who had claimed dicky's acquaintance in the lobby she was signalling greetings to a number of acquaintances in a flamboyant fashion she would bow elaborately then lift her hands together as if shaking with the person she greeted who is she dicky i tried to make my voice careless i did not catch her name when you introduced us you'll probably see enough of her so you won't forget it returned dicky grinning she's one of the busiest little members of the welcome to our city committee in the set i train most with she won't rest till you've met all the boys and girls and been properly lionized she's one of the best little scouts going and if she'd cut out the war-paint and modulate that comanche yell she calls her voice there would be few women to equal her for brains and looks but you haven't told me yet what her name is i persisted well in private life she's mrs harry underwood that's harry with her but she's better known all over the country as the cleverest producer of illustrated jingles for advertising we have remember that simple simon parody for the mincemeat advertisement we laughed over some time ago and i told you i knew the woman who did it there she is before you and dicky waved his hand grandiloquently lillian gale i almost gasped the name the same rejoined dicky and turned again to his program while i sat in amazed horror with all my old-time theories crumbling around me for i had read of lillian gale and her married troubles i knew that harry underwood was her second husband and that she had been divorced from her first spouse after a scandal which had been aired quite fully in the newspapers she had not been proved guilty but her skirt certainly had been smirched by rumor according to the ideas which had been mine dicky should have shrunk from having me ever meet such a woman let alone planning to have me on terms of intimacy with her what should i do when the curtain went down on the first act i turned to dicky happily eager to hear his comments and filled with the throng of thoughts to wipe away any remembrance from his mind of the unhappiness that had promised to mar my evening and which i feared he had read in my eyes but just as i opened my lips to speak he interrupted me with a startled exclamation sit down lil hello harry dicky was on his feet in an instant and lillian gale was seated next to me with dicky and her husband leaning over us before i had fully realized that the woman the thought of whom had so disturbed my evening was so close to me i want you to know mrs graham harry dicky said i glowed inwardly at the note of pride in his voice and looked up to meet a pair of brilliant black eyes looking at me with an appraising approval that grated he was a tall good-looking chap 
with an air of ennui that sat oddly on his powerful frame. I felt sure that I would like Lillian Gale's husband as little as I did the woman herself. I was glad when the lights dimmed slowly that the second act was about to begin. Mrs. Underwood rose with a noisy rustling of draperies. She evidently was one of those women who can do nothing quietly, and turning to me said cordially, "'Be sure to wait for us in the lobby when this is over. We have a plan.' And before I had time to reply, she had rustled away to her own seat, her tall husband following at some little distance behind her, but apparently oblivious of her presence, as if she were a stranger. I didn't much enjoy the second act, even though I realized that it was one of the best comedy scenes I had ever seen, both in its lines and its acting. But I had a problem to settle, and I longed for the quiet hour in my room, which my mother had trained me to take every day since childhood. Of course, I realized that Lillian Gale meant to have us join them for a supper party after the theater. The invitation would be given to us in the lobby after the last act. Upon the way that I received that invitation must depend my future conduct toward this woman. I could not make one of the proposed party, and afterward declined to know her. My instincts all cried out to me to avoid Lillian Gale. She outraged all my canons of good taste, although even through my prejudices I had to admit there was something oddly attractive about her in spite of her atrocious make-up. But, on the other hand, she and her husband appeared to be on most intimate terms with Dicky. Would I seriously offend him if I refused to treat his friends with friendliness equal to that which they seemed ready to shower upon me? "'Would you like to walk a bit, Madge?' Dicky's voice started me into a recollection of my surroundings. I had been so absorbed in the problem of whether I should or should not accept Lillian Gale as an intimate friend that I did not know that the curtain had fallen on the second act, nor did I know how the act had ended. My problem was still unsolved. I welcomed the diversion of a turn in the fresher air of the lobby. As we passed up the aisle I felt a sudden tug, then an ominous ripping. The floating chiffon overdrapery of my gown had caught in a seat. As Dicky bent to release me his face showed consternation. Almost a length of the dainty fabric trailed on the floor. I have schooled my self-repression for many a weary year. I feared my gown, in which I had taken such pride, was ruined, but I would not let anyone know I cared about it. I gathered it up and smiled at Dicky. It really doesn't matter, I said. If you'll leave me at the woman's dressing room, I think I can fix it up all right. Dicky drew a relieved breath. His heartily murmured, You're a thoroughbred for sure, Madge rewarded me for my composure. I was just woman enough also to be comforted by the whispered comments of two women who sat just behind the seat which caused the mischief. Isn't that a shame, that exquisite gown, and the rejoinder, 
but isn't she game i couldn't smile like that i'd be crying my eyes out dicky left me at the door of the dressing-room pressing a coin slyly into my hand you'll tip the maid he explained and i blessed him for his thoughtfulness i had been too absorbed in my gown to think of anything else an obsequious maid provided me with needle thimble and thread she offered to mend the tear for me but i had a horror of being made conspicuous by her ministrations if you'll let me have a chair in a corner i shall do very nicely i told her and was at once snugly ensconced near one of her mirrors behind the very comfortable rampart of an enormously fat woman in an exaggerated evening gown who was devoting much pains and cosmetics to her complexion she looked as if she intended to remain at the particular mirror all the intermission i hoped she would stay there in spite of the dagger's look she was receiving from other complexion repairers who coveted her place for she was an effectual shield from curious eyes to my joy i found that the gown was not ruined and that it could be repaired without much expense or trouble even the temporary mending i was doing disguised the break i was so interested in the mending that i was completely lost to my surroundings but the sound of a familiar name brought me to with a jerk did you see the dicky bird and his marble bride a high-pitched yet rather sweet voice asked the question and a deep contralto answered it yes indeed i saw the way lillian gale was rushing at them for my part i don't think that's quite clubby of lil of course she's got into the way of thinking she has a first mortgage on the dicky bird but she might give that beautiful bride a chance for her life before she forecloses what's the secret of lil's attraction for dicky graham anyway the soprano voice queried she's a good seven years older than he is and both her past and her youth are rather frayed at the edges you know oh love's young dream and the habit of long association returned the contralto i've heard that little was dicky's first love she was a stunner for looks nineteen years ago and dicky was just young enough to be swept off his feet that must have been before little married that unspeakable morton the fellow she divorced wasn't it interrupted the soprano yes it was the contralto answered i don't know whether dicky has been half in love with lil all these years or not but he certainly has been her best friend and now comes the news of his marriage to somebody the crowd never heard of well i think lil may say good-bye to her dicky bird now returned the first speaker that bride is quite the prettiest piece of flesh and blood i've seen for many days she is all that agreed the other she holds all the best cards, but you'll find she is too statuesque and dignified to play them. I saw her face tonight when Lil was talking to her. She is not accustomed to Lil's kind, and she does not like her friendship with Dicky. You can't blame her for that, interrupted the soprano. I am sure I would not like to see my husband dancing attendance on Lillian Gale. No, of course not the contralto replied but she will be just fool enough to show dicky her feelings 
and Dicky, who is the soul of loyalty to his friends, will resent her attitude and try to make it up to Lil and Harry by being extra nice to them. It's too bad. But then these marble statue sort of women always sacrifice their love for their pride or their fool notions of propriety. It will be as good as a play to watch the developments, the soprano commented. Come on, we'll be too late for the curtain. I felt suddenly faint, and the room appeared to whirl around me. The maid touched me on the arm. Are you ill, madame? Here. And she held a glass of water to my lips. I drank it and motioned her away. I'll be all right in a moment, I murmured. Thank you, but I am quite well. So this was what marriage would mean to me. A contest with another woman for my husband's love? A fierce anger took possession of me. One moment I regretted my marriage to Dicky. The next I was fiercely primitive as any savage woman in my desire to crush my rival. I could have strangled Lillian Gale in that moment. Then common sense came back to me. What was it that woman had said? I had all the best cards in my hand? Well, I would play them. I felt sure that Dicky loved me. I would not jeopardize that love for a temporary pride. I would eliminate Lillian Gale from Dicky's life, but I would bide my time to do it. End of chapter 3